You're listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, is it good to worship tonight? Yeah. Amen. Hey, if you, man, I feel like, let me just lean in here for a second. So I feel like between, like it's a stressful time. And also between the fact that we just stuffed your belly with pancakes, like you guys are a little, you guys are a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little stiff tonight, like a little bit, uh, like you just breathe a little bit. Can y'all do that? Can y'all help me out a little bit? Like, y'all ready to dig in? All right. Hey, turn to John chapter 8, the Gospel of John. We're finishing up our uh, account series. So we've been going through the Gospels, John chapter 8. And I've been looking forward to to digging in with y'all tonight. Crazy. It's our last. We'll do several things over the Christmas break, but our last big Tuesday night gathering of the semester. Kind of crazy. So John chapter 8. And really, we we could start in verse 73 of chapter 7. And, huh. This is weird. My Bible... Somebody even spilled their drink. They're so confused. My, I don't know if y'all says this. I have to come look. Above where it starts, like above where I would begin chapter 8, or like where 53 runs into chapter 1, it says, there's like a, a space here. It says, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. Did y'all say that? Like, that's what yours says? Your phone probably don't say it. <laughs> That's not a roast. <laughs> I guess it could be. Did y'all say that? What is going on? The earliest manuscripts do not include. So that means like it's saying the earliest manuscripts. What is a manuscript? Like copies of the New Testament. It doesn't include that section. Man, it's like, huh. Kind of puts a damper on the passage I was going to preach. <laughs> like, I, well, I'm starting to wonder here, like, and this is bad timing, but I'm kind of wondering, like, can I even trust the Bible? Because it says, like, maybe this section shouldn't even be in the Bible. So, like, is anything trustworthy in the Bible? This is bad timing for me to be wrestling with this, but. Because here's, like, this is a good question. Because if I can't trust what's in the Bible, then why am I doing the things I'm doing? Like, why am I living the way I'm living? Like, not to weird you out. But Lauren and I dated for four years before we got married. And, again, not to, I won't go too far, I promise. But when we got married, we were virgins. Like, if this is not true, then why were we waiting? I'm, I mean, but for real, Right? Some of y'all are like, oh, Lord, I brought my friend tonight. What is happening? Or like some of y'all, you know, you're, you're a broke college student or young adult, and you, you well, you, you tithe or you try to give something to the church. If this is not trustworthy, then why are we giving our money away? Facts right there. Facts. <laughs> or like, I mean, <laughs> toast to that. If, if, this is, if the Bible is not trustworthy, then... How come on a Friday night when some of your friends are out partying, you're at home at the dorm or the apartment 
or your house that you share, like by yourself hating your life. Like if this is not trustworthy, then, wh- then why are you doing that? Like putting yourself through that. For right. Right? <laughs> All right, y'all know me well. I can't fool you. Like, do I believe this is trustworthy? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like, the, like, like I'm, you're my kids right now. Like, yes, Dad. <laughs> is it okay to ask tough questions of the Bible and of Christianity? Absolutely it is okay. I actually encourage it. If you're just like everything that someone tells you, you're like, sure, I believe that. I, I don't have to finish that statement. You know that's a bad idea, right? Just because there are values. Here comes Aaron. Here's Jingle. Just, just because there are valid questions, just because there are valid questions about the Bible, just because there are valid questions about Christianity, doesn't mean there aren't good answers. Is that good English? Does that make sense? Or okay English? <laughs> Just because you have a question about Jesus or about the Bible, it doesn't mean like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can trust it. No, questions are good. Just go find good answers. You with me? Here's the reality. If, we're, if you're not sure if you can trust the Bible, you're not going to get very far in your Christian walk because this is how you eat, <laughs> Right? So you got to have a solid assurance of, hey, this is trustworthy. I can stake my life on it. Yes, I'm willing to wait four years to have sex with a girl that I love because I want to obey Scripture and I trust that God knows what's best. I'll quit talking about that, sorry. (laughs) You with me? So here's what I want to do tonight. I feel like before we can look at this passage, I've got to spend some time, we need to spend some time looking at, how can we know or how can we be confident that the scriptures we have are accurate, that they're, like, that they're trustworthy, that they're reliable? How, how can we be confident? Or even maybe a different way to say, like, can we be confident that when we open the Bible, God's word, that like, yeah, man, th- this is God's word. I can trust what it says and trust that it's perfect and, and um, without error and that it's right, like that what it says is right and good and true. We need to be able to know that. And here's the reality. I cannot, I'm going to try to take just a few minutes to do that um, and not go any longer than normal for the message. There's no way, if I take like 12 to 15 minutes to cover some of that question, there's no way I can do it full justice. Because like quite literally books and, well, maybe not libraries, but books in small libraries have been written on this issue. So it would be really arrogant for me to be like, 12 minutes, you'll never doubt again. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I want to give you a, just a, maybe just a small sliver, a little a foundation of like, hey, I can trust that the Bible is accurate. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So here's what it requires. This is why, oh, let me break that speaker. Why well, I said we got to lean in a little bit. You, this is not going to be super heavy. I'm not going like super deep with this section. But you're going to have to think a little bit if it's going to make sense. So like, y'all with me? You carved up. All the pancake stuff is in your brain. <laughs> Not really, but um, I need, I need, we got we to gotta lean in, right? So can I shrug, everybody just say, you good? Man, I, I say, you good? Yeah. All right, yeah, we got to wake up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so I think the first thing we got to discuss is how, before you can like say, is it, is it trustworthy, how did we get the Bible? See, honestly, I'm not trying to make fun. This could be news to some of us. Here's what 
didn't happen. God didn't just like covertly undercover come down to earth one day and like, hey, bro, hey, 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 here's my word, take it. <laughs> like, like, that's not what happened. Or it wasn't like, like one day the skies parted and it's just like, Boom! Like, there's the word! Like, there's a huge crater. Like, that's, what's in, that's what happened in New Mexico, right? Like, that's where the Bible fell. Um, and some of us, I've wondered before, like, man, wouldn't that have been more epic and more, like, believable? I don't think so. Because if one person's like, hey, bro, this is God's word. Like, if someone does that to me, I'm like, that's sketchy, right? <laughs> Which I'm not trying to, I mean, I guess this is funny, but I'm not trying to be funny or hate. But, like, that's what's so sketchy about Mormonism. Honestly, like what one dude's like, hey, I can't show you, but I got these golden tablets. They're from God. Like, I, I, can't, I can't buy into that. Does that make sense? So the, the more people that can attest to something, the more believable it is, right? If one person's like, hey, I saw this. I'm like, bro, I, were you on drugs? I don't know. If 500 people are like, hey, that's the truth. I'm like, hmm, I think I'm going to listen to that. Does that make sense? So again, God didn't just like come down. Stop, here it is. Okay, so how did it happen? The Holy Spirit inspired real people, like a dude named Moses, to write down God's word, scripture. And it wasn't like they entered this trance where like they're just floating and like God's moving the pencil. Like, no, they were active in it. That's why as you read the different books of the Bible, there's different vocabulary and different genres, which makes it a lot of fun to read, right? You can read Judges. It's like, that's crazy. It's like a rated R movie. What's happening? Should I even be reading this? And then you read the Psalms. You're like, oh, it stirs my soul, right? Like, or Proverbs. You're like, that's some wisdom. Dropping gold nuggets of truth, right? Um, <laughs> That's what makes it incredible, but also it's evident, it's like, yeah, evidence that there were so many different people involved as the Holy Spirit inspired them to write down Scripture. So let's, I want to pause there just for a second as we're talking about how we got it. Because I think what I'm going to say here, like, there's a little bit of evidence of, like, the trustworthiness of the Bible. So the Bible, it's made up of 66 books, right? Hopefully that's not crazy news to you. All with, yes, they have the individual big ideas within the book and even within chapters. Um, hold on to that thought. It was written by over, as God inspired, over or about 40 men that recorded it. Some of them prophets, some of them priests, some of them soldiers, um, some of them scholars. Luke was a doctor, some fishermen, all kinds of different people. It was written in three different languages, so Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. It was written on three different continents. Africa, Asia, I said Africa, <laughs> Africa, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And it was written over a 1600 year period. You track it with me? 40 people of all kinds of different races and background. Three continents, 1600 years, three languages, and not just biblical scholars, but even secular scholars would have to agree there's one thread that ties it all together, whether they agree with it or believe it or not. And who is that thread? Jesus. That's pretty stinking cool. We, if, I just took this, if I just took this section right here and said, hey, I want y'all <laughs> over the next month to write a book and make it some cohesiveness, I don't trust them. No offense to you guys, right? The fact that 66 books can make up one big book, 
over a 1,600-year period and there be one overarching message, that's pretty powerful, right? That's evidence to me that maybe there's something different about this book. You with me? Okay, so back to how it was written. So you get people like Moses, Isaiah, writing down, as God's inspired them, writing down the scriptures on animal skin, on papyrus. Eventually, over time, what happens to that animal skin or papyrus that they were writing on? It fades or it gets it worn out, right? Like even, gosh, the pages in your Bible after a while, if, like, if you write on it, like even just touching, eventually the pages kind of begin to get crumbled. Like, and if that never happens, then like, read your Bible more, right? Um, but uh, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just thinking about it. And so um, it eventually fades. So what do they have to do to keep, because we want to keep God's word, what do they have to do? They make copies, right? You've heard the word scribes. So the scribes would make copies of the original and then eventually copies of copies. You with me? Um, let's think about this scribe thing for a second because that can kind of scare us sometimes. Because you think, okay, well, like the scribes writing it down, were they writing it accurately? Can we trust that they were making good copies? Was it a bad copy? Let's think about that. First of all, they were not, scribes were not allowed to do it from memory. Even though many of them knew the book they were copying by memory, they couldn't do it from memory. They weren't, weren't allowed to, I should say, even, though, even if they could. Um, this is crazy to me. It had to be super frustrating. So they didn't have, like, Mac laptops, right? So they're, they're writing by hand. And if they made more than three mistakes on one page, they had to start over. Like, rip out or, you know, scroll, rip off, whatever. Start over. That stinks. <laughs> Could you imagine? You're like, some of you doctoral students, you're like, the last page of your dissertation. <laughs> and then, no! Because you made too many mistakes. They want, didn't want it to be filled with mistakes. Beyond the carefulness, oh yeah, also they would uh, not just count words, but to make sure they were making perfect copies of the copies, they would even count letters. So you do, that, you do a word count, right? Like how many, how many words is, was your college? So now it's not word count, I guess. But um, they would even count the letter to make sure it was an identical copy. So beyond the scribes, Think about as a community of faith, did the Jews and eventually the Christians, did they value the word of God? Absolutely they did. Just like we value the word of God. To make my point, let me ask you this. If I on Tuesday night said, guys, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would have a great life, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, like I heard some violent things and some not so violent, but like y'all would not put up with that, right? Like if I was serious, like guys, it's not a big deal. I just changed one word. Like Matt might come, he might hurt me. I don't know, right? Um, it would not go well because you value the word of God. That may be a silly example, but the, the community of God, the people of God valued God's words. So there was even accountability from the community of we want an accurate, not just an accurate copy, we, we want a perfect copy. So you've got the scribes doing their job, you've got the community doing their job. Two more things I want to look at before we get into the text that I think help maybe solidify of, hey, you can trust this. Interesting about the Old Testament. So again, making copies of copies of copies. So up until 1946, our best copy manuscripts of Kind of, I'm 
oversimplifying, but another word for copies, our best manuscripts for the Old Testament, the collection was the Masoretic text that dated back to 1008 A.D. So in some ways you could say, you know, talk, you're with me, so, so about a thousand years ago, right? You with me? About a thousand years ago. Which if you look at that, like that seems old to us, but compared to when the Old Testament texts were written before Christ, it's kind of a long time, right? There's a big gap there. So it would, it would stand a reason like that, man, that's such a big gap. Like, can we trust that they're good copies of the originals? Well, in 1946, in Qumran, in Israel, a lot of y'all know about this, but um, Qumran is a little area of caves right near the, the Dead Sea. They found what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And again, this is not like a Bible, um, this is not a Christian thing. Like, secular scholars are aware of this. This is a known, this is a fact. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls um, right near the Dead Sea in Qumran. That's why I call it Dead Sea Scrolls. And the scroll, so when they found these scrolls, they were in these um, clay jars, if I remember right. And they found, I think it was, uh, I have it right here. I'll have to guess. 200 biblical manuscripts. They found 200 manuscripts of Old Testament scriptures. You still with me? And when they dated them, these scrolls date back to 250 B.C. So take that in for a second. Found them in 1946. These scrolls are from 250 B.C., about then. So here's what happened in the secular world and even the Christian world. As they found them, there began to be this concern of, okay, we have the Masoretic text. That's what we say is authoritative. We trust as the Old Testament scriptures that, hey, they're reliable, they're trustworthy. Now we found these scrolls from 250 B.C. before Christ. There's a big gap. Man, they may not match up. You see that concern of we have these about a thousand years old, but written, or the copies are way later compared to when they were written. Now we've found these, not originals, but these copies, they're from 250 BC. Maybe they're not going to match up. Listen to this. This, this blows my mind. Are y'all with me? You making sense so far? Okay. When they looked at them, even though there's over a thousand years between the copies, they found that the Old Testament manuscripts from a, a thousand AD and then 250 B.C., had 95% word-for-word agreement. That's pretty cool, right? Listen to this. Not done. Among the 5% variances, there are almost all spelling differences. So think about that. 95% word-for-word. Of that 5%, almost all of those 5% are spelling differences. Do you all ever misspell things? Yes, look at your phone. <laughs> I didn't mean to text that. <laughs> so with that, even 5%, there wasn't like any real change in meaning of the scriptures. Does that show that <laughs> the copies of the Old Testament are reliable? Absolutely. Listen to this about the New Testament. To give you context, I'm going to give you an example first. So you all you've heard of the Greek philosopher Plato? Plato's Republic, you with me? If you, even in high school, I think you probably talk about Plato some. So Plato's Republic was published in 375 B.C. And there are only seven copies, copies, manuscripts that have survived. And the earliest manuscripts that we have date back to A.D. 800. So about 1,200 years from the original. With me? Do people doubt Plato's works? 
No. Like no one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I think there's a fair bet to make. No professors at Tech or LCE are like, no, I'm not sure we can really trust if this is really what Plato said. No, it's just taken as Plato's works. Make sense? Listen to this about the Bible. So how many copies were there of manuscripts for Plato's work? Seven. Like, yeah, seven. Listen to this. There are 5,700, about 5,700 New Testament manuscripts. Seven? A lot. <laughs> 5,700. Now, this could scare you at first, but hear me out. Of those 5,700, so they look at, they've got copies of John, they've got copies of 1 Peter, copies of James. You with me? All these manuscripts. Of all those 5,700, when they, when they compare the copies of copies of copies, there are about, this is going to scare you for a second, 400,000 variants. 400,000. That's a lot. Where this seems different than this. But the vast majority of those are word order or spelling. So again, maybe it's like, it's not a good example, the before thou, or they switched a vowel, switched a letter. When you take those out, so take out spelling difference, they flip-flop, they said this word before this word, but same sentence, same meaning. When you take those out, there is 99% agreement among the manuscripts. And in that 1%, none change any serious doctrine. And beyond that, most of the manuscripts that we have date back to the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries. How far does that put the copies from the originals? When was the New Testament written? I think last week Paul wrote it, maybe. 1st century A.D., right? Jesus died 33 Roughly, right? I'm sure if a New Testament scholar was here, he'd be like, well, actually, it was 34. But about then, right? Somewhere in there. And then as the church began to develop, and Paul and the guys wrote down, wrote the Gospels. So first century A.D., and our copies are second, third, uh, fourth century. You with me? So we've got 5,700 manuscripts, all within, I say all, mostly within, a, at, at the most, a few hundred years of when the originals were written. That blows Plato out of the water, right? Makes Plato look like a joke. Like, no offense to Plato, but is this accurate and reliable? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if you, by the way, if you're wondering, man, how could, like, how, how do they pick like what books and stuff? Great question. I'll have a ton of time to go into. I would say two things real quick. Jesus authenticated the Old Testament as God's word. So that's kind of check there, right, from a Christian perspective. And the New Testament, again, probably way oversimplifying it. But over time, God's people, the church, came together and acknowledged, not like, well, what do we like? Man, that's a great passage. Let's keep that one in. No. But acknowledged these books there's something authoritative about them. There's something different about, not just different, but authoritative. The Holy Spirit works through these books. And beyond that, they're true and accurate. So it wasn't just like, yeah, that's a cool story. Let's use that. No. Was it true? Can God's people attest to, yes, that actually happened? You with me? Again, probably oversimplification. 
So still, you're like, bro, he, he hadn't even started the passage, and it's 847. Don't worry, I promise, okay? We're going to be super quick. In John 8, what is this about? Let me get back here. What is this about the earliest manuscripts don't include this? So here's what happens. When Bible translators come together to translate Greek and Hebrew, in this instance we'll talk about Greek, they, they want to use the earliest manuscripts. Another way you can say it is the oldest manuscripts. And why is that? Say it again. Most accurate. And why do you think it would be the most accurate? Closest to the original. Absolutely, right? Someone one time said to me, no, you want to get further away because the further downstream, the less pollution. Which, why is that dumb? Because you're implying the original was polluted. Like, that don't work, right? So I'm going to get as close to the original as possible. So what they do is they come together and they're, they're looking at different manuscripts as they're making these uh, translation decisions. And they want to go with the earliest because most likely, not just the most, yeah, most accurate and, and closest to the original inspired word of God. And like the ESV, it's what I preach out of. A lot of you have the ESV, it's what's in the back of the green chair. ESV, over a hundred scholars come together to do this. There's not like three guys in a room, like people like me, like, dude, what do you think? That sounds good. No, like biblical and new, like Greek scholars coming together to, to work on this together. So in this case, in, in this passage, 753 through 811, what they're doing, they're, they're letting you know, hey, we, we don't think this was in the original text. But here's why I, th I think they include it and why it doesn't bother me. It's so, it's in so many manuscripts eventually that the early church seemed to believe that this really happened. I shouldn't, excuse me. The early church believed this really happened. And when you read this story, we're going to read it in a second. There's no reason to believe it didn't happen. John even says at the end of his book, he's like, we can't write everything down that Jesus did, right? So th there's no reason to believe it didn't happen because it corresponds with the rest of Scripture. If this was some like wackadoo story of, I don't, I'm not going to make something up, but uh, like, all of a sudden aliens came down to Jerusalem, like that doesn't really match up with the rest of Scripture, right? Um, but because what happens in John in these uh, few verses, 1 through 11, because it matches up with the rest of Scripture, I'm willing to go, yeah, I, I believe that actually happened. So if I'm being honest with you, I, I'm, I think like the uh, interpreter, or not, translators, I don't know that I think that 753 through 811 was in the original manuscripts. But do I believe it actually happened? Yes. I think there's good reason to believe that. I think there's good reason to trust it and to learn from it. So can we do that? We're going to be quick, I promise. I know what time it is. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to look at it, all right? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's trustworthy, that it's good, and that it's perfect and reliable. And it's not just another book. It is your perfect word, the very breath of God. So God, I pray that as we study it day in, day out, that you would transform our lives with it. And Lord, as we look at this brief little passage real quick, God, I really do believe that this happened, that you did this when you were here in the flesh. I pray that as we look at it, that, man, you would challenge us and maybe open up our eyes a little more to the kind of God that you are. God, we love you, and I pray that you would 
I'm going to be quick in my explanation and give us ears to hear. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all with me? You awake? All right. Hey, is it a little warm in here or is it me? Is it a little warm? You good? I will leave it. All right. John, let's start 753. They went each to his own house. But Jesus, so I'm 8-1 now, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Can you imagine having been there for that? Like, you, you guys are gracious and kind and put up with coming on Tuesdays and Sundays. And like, could you imagine, like, I mean, to hear me, but could you imagine going, like, hey, man, Jesus, Jesus is down at the journey on Tuesday night. Let's go sit and listen. Like, if, that would be awesome, right? Like, I hope, Jesus, I hope that you feel like you meet with Jesus every week here. But can you imagine going to a place, like going to the sub at Tech and being like, hey, everybody gathered around. Jesus is going to talk to us. So they're all gathered around the temple listening to Jesus. I mean, we, we know, like, if there was ever a preacher, Jesus was a good preacher, right? I think God, God probably knows what he's doing, right? Um, he's teaching them. And then... A commotion happens. Verse 3 says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. How humiliating would that have been? I can't, I, first of all, I can't imagine like Jesus is teaching, everybody's listening, all of a sudden like, whoa. Like, there's like, you can see uh, an aisle forming as people are pushing through and they drag this woman in the midst of the crowd, not like, hey, excuse us, we have an announcement, like, interrupt everything. Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. How? Man, first of all, I, I'm going to, I think it's a fair assumption. She probably already felt like the guilt and shame of what she was doing. But then to be called out, not just in front of a group, but in front of Jesus, who was already at that time known as an incredible teacher of God's people and a religious leader, and, and now she's being shamed in front of him. They, verse 5, they say, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. All right, this is, so do they actually really care about the law and, like, and morality and doing what God wants? No. What are they trying to do? What does it say? Come on. You're not cheating if you look at your Bible. What does it say? Yeah, they're trying to trap Jesus. They hated Jesus for, for who he was, what he was teaching. So they're using this woman to try to, to trap Jesus. So now she's trapped in the trap for Jesus, right? Jesus, we caught her in adultery. What do you say? The, the, Moses says to stone her, what should we do? Now, first of all, they're referring to Deuteronomy, I think, 23. If you look at that passage, they're supposed to bring the woman and the what? The man, too. So did they bring the man? No. Another little clue that they don't really care about doing what God wants. They just want to get rid of Jesus. This is messed up. And here's the tension. Stoning wasn't, um, like, in this instance, wasn't, or at the time in the society, wasn't really, like, carried out and practiced. But if he had said, Yes, let's stone her. First of all, he's in a trap because the Roman um, leader in that, in that area, prefect is the word I'm looking for, was really the only person that could say and carry out 
capital punishment. So for Jesus to say, yes, that stoner, like, he's going to get in trouble for that. And Jesus has been preaching compassion and love and forgiveness. So now if he's like, yeah, stoner, he's kind of at a bind there, right? But if he just says, you know what, man, it's all good, just let her go, then it's like he's ignoring the Old Testament. So then he has no credibility for his ministry. Was Jesus in a bind? Yes. Like it was a, even though it's really, really messed up test, it was a good test. They've got him in a bind of, I mean, you could not just lose all your followers. You, Jesus, like this could get you killed, or it could totally undermine your ministry. Then it says, oh, wrong it says they keep asking him. So it's not just like they ask him the question and then stand there. It says, and you see in verse 7, they continue to ask him. So there's this continual, Jesus, what's it going to be? What should we do? Should we stone her? The law says stone her. What do you say, Jesus? You, you say compassion. You've been talking about compassion. Do you not care about the law? What's it going to be? And what's it say Jesus is doing? Uh, if you look at the end of verse 6, what was he doing when they were asking all this stuff? Yeah, he's just like so awesome Jesus, like typical Jesus, right? He's like drawn in the sand. It doesn't say, like, I mean, we could, we could debate all night. It would be a lot of fun. Actually, I don't like debates like that, but um, it wouldn't be fun for me. But we could debate all night what he was writing. I love it. Even the commentaries I read, like, they'll write three pages, and they're like, but ultimately we don't know. I'm like, you just wasted three pages of my life, right? But Jesus is he's writing in the sand, which I feel like probably ticked them off, right? It's like when somebody's on, your, on their phone and you're talking to him, like, are you listening to me? He's just drawing in the sand. Jesus, what do you say? Should we condemn her? What do we do? Just drawing. And then he stands up. And it doesn't say the crowd fell quiet, but I had to, right? They're waiting, they're asking, and finally he stands up, and they realize he's about to give us his answer. So you can almost hear the, not hear, you can almost imagine the hush that fell over the crowd, right? And he says, let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And I love this. It says, and once more, <laughs> he bent back down to write on the ground. <laughs> so he's like, hey, the, whoever's without sin, go ahead. <laughs> and what does it, what does it say that what happened? Verse 9, when they heard it, what? One by one. Beginning with the older ones, they left. And I can't help, against my like, weird imagination, I can't help but think the angels in heaven were like, oh, roasted, right? Because they're just one by one leaving until the end of verse 9, it says, then Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So then it's just them two, which before we read anymore, first of all, Jesus was brilliant, like on the spot. He, he gave that answer. He's in a serious, difficult trap, and on the spot, he just turns it around on them, and, like genius, like literally genius man. I think if he took an IQ test, we wouldn't know what to do with it, right? Genius man, the God man, sees right through their hypocrisy. That they're really like, they're trying to guilt trip her and put her and him in a trap, and it's really just a cover for their own ugly sin, Turns it right back around on them. And he upholds the law while, while also not condemning her, like offering grace to her. I mean, only Jesus could do something like that, right? But that's not the best part. 
I don't think so. Verse uh, 10. So he stands up again after writing in the sand again. Maybe in heaven we can ask him what he wrote. <laughs> he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Man, the one, the only one who had every right, every single right to condemn her. She was sinful. She was a a messed up sinful person, broken person. The only one that had the right to condemn her didn't condemn her. He offered her what? Grace, right? The one who had every right to condemn her offered her grace. He didn't condone her sin. He says, hey, go and sin no more. She's not like, ah, it's no big deal. No, what she was doing was wrong. It was messed up. He says, I'm not not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. It makes me think of what John says about Jesus and the writer John in in John chapter 1, that Jesus was full of grace of truth, or is full of grace and truth. And from Jesus, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. Man, if you're new or newer, and you're just not sure what you think about Jesus, and you've been around Christians, you're like, man, they talk about Jesus a lot, which hopefully we do that. And you're like, man, Jesus is a big deal to them. This is why. <laughs> Amen? Because Jesus is full of grace and truth, and he offers us grace upon grace upon grace. And Jesus offers broken people, people with a broken past, a beautiful future. I could condemn you, but I'm going to offer you forgiveness and grace Go and sin no more. Man, that's why we make a big deal about Jesus, because he's changed our lives. I want to real quick, I promise I'm quick, because the band comes up, three things. I normally with the story say you should only have one big idea, but I, I can't help but point out three things from this story. Sorry. Three quick things that we can't miss that this story teaches us. One, all of us are sinners. Every single person who's ever lived, except for Jesus, is in need of a Savior. When you read the Bible, it's not, there's some good people and there's some bad people. There's bad people and there's Jesus. <laughs> all of us need Jesus. We're all broken people. The second thing, other, yeah, second truth I want you to see is that grace must always lead to holiness. He says, I'm going to offer you grace but go and sin no more. And it wasn't like, never sin again. No, like, she's still going to mess up and, and still a broken person. But repent. Turn from living in sin and start pursuing holiness. Grace should always lead to holiness. So if you read this story, you're like, sweet, dude, do whatever I want. You don't get grace. If you find yourself not pursuing Jesus, not wanting to live a holy life, not wanting to be like Jesus, I would argue you don't get grace. I mean, mean, sorry, when I say get, I mean, you don't understand it. When you embrace grace, when grace captures your mind and your heart, man, it changes the way you want to live. Amen? I don't know why I keep saying amen, sorry. It it makes you want to be like Jesus when you experience his grace. So I'm going to kind of encourage you as a Christian tonight, if, if you're struggling with sin, maybe the answer is not just to pull myself up by the bootstraps and try harder. Maybe the answer is, to try to understand grace a little better. And as you understand grace a little better, I think it changes your heart to pursue holiness. Try hard. Like, I want you to, like, man, do the things, like do the hard work of pursuing Christ. But sometimes the hard work is just 
pursuing and an understanding grace. Does that make sense? Last thing, the third thing. We don't have to be condemned because Jesus was condemned. Man, that's the gospel news. If you read the rest of John, like the reason Jesus could offer her to, hey, like I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. The reason, then think about that. Gosh, that's crazy. The reason he could extend that was because he was going to be condemned on the cross. Because he knew he was going to suffer for her. He was going to bear the punishment for her sin so he could offer that. He wasn't just like giving out free checks of like, nah, sin's not a big deal. No, sin was a big enough deal that Jesus had to die for it. But Jesus was condemned so you don't have to be. I mean, that's the best news on the planet. So here's the deal. If you are a Christian, on that, thinking about that last point, if you're a Christian, don't ever forget that. Every day we should walk in the truth, that, man, and really the rejoice in the truth that Jesus suffered, Jesus died for me and then rose again so that I can be accepted by God. I can walk into his presence. I don't have to be condemned. I don't have to be an outcast. I'm not forsaken. I I get to walk in the presence of God because of Jesus. That's awesome. (laughs) That's worth even when work stinks or your roommate situation is really bad or you're staring down finals, you can still rejoice (laughs) because Jesus was condemned and you don't have to be. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you've been coming off semester or for a couple of years and you don't know Christ, man, that's, that's the gospel. You're broken, but Jesus lived a perfect, unbroken life, died the death that you deserve and rose again. And if you'll embrace that and believe that and, and admit that, man, I'm broken. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the creator of the universe that came to, to be condemned in my place. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Scripture says that if you'll do that and call upon his name, Jesus, I need you, please save me, you'll be saved. Man, what a cool gift. Jesus says, hey, hey, I can offer you this because I already like paid for it. Man, you can have that gift of forgiveness, of hope, of salvation. We'll turn to him tonight. So we're gonna sing this song that celebrates the gospel, it celebrates the finished work of Christ. But if you don't know Jesus, as we sing this song, one, you could just like simply, I think I already explained, like, man, just make that your prayer. God, I, I believe in you. I know I messed up. I need you. I accept your offer of forgiveness, salvation. I want to follow you. If you're still a little confused on that, man, I'll be right back over there in that corner. Not no, like, creepy corner, just right over there. Um, and we'd love to pray with you and talk to you, answer any questions you may have. Um, and Zach's going to be in that corner over there. I mean, please. <laughs> um, cool? Man. You're a believer. Let's sing this song from our guts. Y'all pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the gospel truth that you offer broken people, people with a broken past, a beautiful future because of the cross. I pray that we would just embrace this truth and this would be our identity. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all stand and sing with us. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.